doing what. And, um, and that's because people want to serve at this church. Um, Rick made the comment the other night, Rick Quinn, um, in a lot of churches, about 10% of the congregation do 90% of the work. And I think it's really just the opposite here. And I just thank God. I really do. And that's a, a testimony of an answer to prayer. And I have another just answer to prayer, and that is that the people who are reading that book, and there's nothing magical about Jim Sindabola's book, Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire. Um, it's not a formula that we want to emulate here at this church and say, boy, if we just do this, then we're going to see God do wonderful things here. We're already seeing God do wonderful things. Um, and, and, and he gets all the glory and all the praise. But um, had a couple people call me this week who just asked for a special prayer request because the book has opened their heart and opened their eyes to what a living God can do. Um, it's good to see Dan and Claudia here. And just remember Dan in prayer. Um, he's got some health issues that are going on and doesn't have to have surgery right now. We thank God for that. Um, but just continue to pray for him. Um, we prayed for uh, Carol a couple weeks ago, and, and she told me this morning, she says, you know, I'm, I'm breathing so much easier. Um, God gets all the credit for that. that was, that's God's work in our church. God would be glorified. And um, Got a visitor this morning. Nice to have you here. Um, uh, Laura, is this a friend of yours? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, okay. Well, I don't know if we're going to have any gravy today. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, but um, this, is, this is your church. You know, I'm just a shepherd here, and there's a, other men that shepherd with me. And, and, um, and I, want, I want to give you a, a couple minutes, you know, to, to maybe just share a, a short testimony of how God is working in your life. Um, I know you didn't get any forewarning because... God didn't give me any forewarning either. He just told me to do this about five minutes ago. I said, okay, God, I'll do it. <laughs> so we're all put on the spot. You can, the, the Holy Spirit just maybe is um, put something on your heart. Maybe God's done something in your, your life this week. Um, I, I, I'm praying for so many of you, and I know God's at work, and I want to put Bonnie on the spot. Um, I know you were with your sister. And did God work in any unique ways? Or just being with her, was that good? or? Oh, you didn't go yet. Oh, you, I'm, 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 we got prayer advance for you. So, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Amen. Amen. Okay. So pray for her, her sister's Margaret. Um, and her brother, too. Okay. Okay. All right. Yes. Hmm. All right. Well, good. Yeah, well, let's, let's pray for that, that 10 days that uh, she can't get away from you. She's got to get on the plane with you to get back home. <laughs> um, Sheila, how's Krista Faye? Any good? Okay. Getting settled in. All right. Um, anybody else have maybe just something that God, yes, Jordan. I don't really keep track of, of how I tithe, but anyways, I got impressed. 
Amen. 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 Yes. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. So next week we expect the, our offerings to double. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Th- this this could actually be sort of a, a an open door for a, a you know, a, a, a career in in running, and which is which is not easy, you know, um, to do. So um, be praying that God will just honor that. Um, Dennis, how's your wife, uh, Sharon? Uh, she's doing pretty good. Oh, good. All right. Well, we're missing her. All right. Did you hear that? Root canal tomorrow morning. So we'll be lifting her up in prayer. Pray for Sharon. Sam Cross, is she here today? Is Sam able to make it? Okay. Maybe she was here last Sunday. I know she can only come every other week. So um, we need to pray for her. When she's not here, she's working at a deli, and she's a missionary at that deli. So Tracy. is so good all right well we'll have to we could be here all day couldn't we maybe we should just do this one service um, uh, just break out of the mold huh I'm thinking about also maybe just some Sunday night just having a, a pray and praise and worship night um, I think Caleb would go for that <laughs> amen amen yeah well a lot of times I'm thinking that's the last song? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that would be wonderful. All right. Well, let's, um, let's do our, our, our kids already gone? Okay. Well, if our children haven't left, you can go ahead and head back to Children's Church. Um, Nancy and Becky will be taking care of them this morning. So... 
we've been going through the life of Elijah, Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament, mainly in 1 Kings. Today will be our last in a series on Elijah. And next Sunday, we're going to have a special guest speaker, one of our own. Uh, Mitch will be preaching for us next Sunday. Mitch is about 25 years old. How old are you, Mitch? 24. 24, okay. And Mitch is a graduate from Frontier Bible School, Frontier Bible College. Uh, he's done an internship already at a church in Colorado for nearly a year where he worked with the youth and did some, uh, some teaching and preaching there. And he and two other young men have been impressed by God to come to Utah after they graduated from Bible school and to start churches in the state of Utah. The state of Utah is one of the least um, evangelized states in our country. In fact, it would probably be less than many other countries around the world, less, than, uh, less believers here than there would be in a lot of even North African countries, which is hard to believe and hard for us to understand and get our heads around that. But he's come here to, to start a church eventually, and part of that process is that he wanted to submit himself under the leadership of other pastors in the area. So he's going to be doing an 18-month intern, and uh, I believe nine months are here at North Valley Bible Church. And then he's going to be at a church in Brigham City and a church in Tremont um, with various responsibilities. And I think for every Christian, we should have someone in our life that we are mentoring, somebody that we're passing on our passion and our knowledge and our love for Christ to somebody else who then in turn can pass that knowledge and passion on to someone other than themselves. When I was young in ministry, there was a verse that I kind of wanted to make my life verse for ministry. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It says, And the things that thou hast heard among me, among other witnesses, Timothy, you commit those to faithful men who can teach others also. And that's four generations of Christianity. Paul says, The things that you've heard from me, Timothy, I want you to commit to other men. So it's Paul to Timothy. Timothy's committing that to other men who then can teach others also. That's four generations of Christians. And that was really Jesus' method of discipleship. He took 12 men. He poured his heart and life into three men specifically, Peter, James, and John. And then those men went out and reproduced. And they reproduced people who were reproducers. And that really is the ultimate goal of North Valley Bible Church. We're not quite at that place where we are an independent church. We're still under a, uh, uh, under a mission agency called Tent Makers Mission. But we're moving. We're moving in that direction where we're going to become an independent church. Um, and what we need is we, we need homegrown leadership. We need to be able to financially support a pastor full-time. And we need to have our own church government. And we've almost got all of those things in place. God's blessing and God's moving us in that direction. But it doesn't end there. North Valley Bible Church needs to have a vision of reproducing another church. And seeing that church be able to reproduce another church. So we're not about building our kingdom here. 
and seeing how many people we can get, but how many people we can win into God's kingdom. Um, so that's, that's Mitch. And um, Elijah, he had a man that he went and called to come alongside and minister with him, and that was Elisha. So we've heard the expression of passing on the mantle. Well, that's where that expression comes from. A mantle is what the, the prophet wore. And so when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind to meet the Lord, Elijah had promised Elisha that God would give him a double portion of his spirit if he saw him going up. And so I'm praying and trusting that these young men that I'm having the privilege of mentoring, that they will way outdo what I've ever been able to do, which won't take a whole lot of effort, really. But anyway, that really should be our heart's desire, is to see a younger generation come on and know Christ and have a passion for Christ and be more zealous than we were. Um, and so uh, this is our last teaching on the life of Elijah, and then I think we're going to be going to the book of Galatians and looking at what true spirituality is. Um, but today, if you'll stand with me, we're only going to read four verses of this passage, and then we'll read a couple of ones that, that flow out of it um, as well. So we get the, the main thrust of our text this morning. So let's stand together in respect and honor of God's holy word. 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, because of this, now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. Let's look at verse 6. So the messengers come back, and Ahab or Ahaziah is kind of confounded why they came back so quickly. And he says, why have you come back? Verse 5. And verse 6 says, so they said to him, a man of God came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now, Ahaziah sent 150 men to bring Elijah back, and 100 of them were consumed by fire, and then the final 50 pleaded, say, please spare our lives, and we go down to verse 15 of the same chapter. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down to the king. Then he said to the king, Thus says the Lord. 
because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, and here it is again, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Father, God, we as a church, we don't want to be guilty of looking anywhere else for spiritual solutions. There is a God, a God who dwells in heaven, and he hears the answers of his servants who humbly fall on their face before him. And God, today we as a church and particularly the church in America, God, we confess that we have turned to methods. We have turned to salesmanship. We have turned to pragmatism. And I think it's because we really don't believe that there is a God who is all-powerful, who builds His church His way, and God, as individual believers, with our lips we profess to know you, but with our actions we deny you. God, I pray that you'll take this passage today, speak to our hearts, God, illuminate our spiritual understanding. And Father, I pray that through this teaching today that you will equip us Teach us how to inquire of the one true God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You may be seated. Um, you know, Tracy was talking about her friend that she walks with. And her friend made the comment that you have taught me how to pray. And I think all of us need to be taught how to inquire of God. It came to pass, as Jesus was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. That's Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Lord, Teach us how to inquire of the Lord. How do I hear the speaking voice of God? How do I have a living, vibrant relationship with the God of Israel? That's what Elijah was instructed to challenge Ahaziah with. Ahaziah was Ahab's son. It wasn't for the lack of evidence that he knew that there was one true God in Israel. And I think today we can use this as a tool even for evangelism. It's not the lack of evidence for the existence of God. It's not the overwhelming evidence for something other than Jesus Christ that people reject Jesus Christ. And it's not the insufficient evidence for Jesus Christ that they don't choose to follow Christ. 
It's the fact that they would rather go to the gods of Ekron, the gods of Beelzebub, who allows them to live and do what they want to do. And that really was the bottom line for Ahaziah. It's not because he didn't understand that there was one true God. He had seen the works of the one true God, hadn't he, through his father. He saw on Mount Carmel the God of Israel who could bring down fire and consume the sacrifices and evaporate the water in the trench that they'd poured. He saw the one true God able to stop the heavens for three and a half years out of punishment for a nation that had gone away from the one true God and had worshipped Baal. He had watched Elijah pray and bring rain, and God sent forth the heavens, and they burst forth and brought forth the rain, we're told in James chapter 5. And so it wasn't that he had insufficient evidence. He just wasn't listening to God's voice. And so the question I want to pose to us this morning is the fact that God is speaking. We serve a speaking God. His voice ever speaks. It doesn't stop speaking. This is not a dead book, is it? It is a living book that is active that is sharper than a double-edged sword. It discerns your thoughts. It discerns the intentions of your heart. And every one of us are naked before the one to whom we are going to have to give an account one day. Jesus said, I have not come to judge the world. The word that I have spoken to you, it will judge you on the last day. So God's word continues to speak. The question is, are we listening? Now, God has spoken to us in a lot of different mediums. And Keith this morning was making reference to creation. Creation, I think, is part of God's... I don't think, I know it is. Because the Bible tells that creation is one of God's speaking voices to you and I. The psalmist said it like this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork day unto day. I don't know if any of you saw that sunset last night. But as I was sitting on my back deck, yeah, I was sitting out there in the cold, had my sweater on, my Irish jumper. But I looked at the reds and the hues on the snow. And God is speaking Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech or language where his voice is not heard. And that speaking voice is powerful enough to convict and condemn every one of us for not acknowledging God Almighty. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness, unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what is revealed by God is known in them, for God has showed it to them. God has made known his invisible attributes from the creation of the world. They are clearly understood... 
but by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We can't excuse ourselves for not acknowledging God. Why do we look for answers from anywhere else when our God can speak into chaos and bring order? Why do we look anywhere else when our God can speak into darkness and says, let there be light? That's our God, and we have no excuse for going anywhere else. God has also spoken to us through our conscience. Every one of us, and I'm going to use this in a different way that our speaker this morning, Kirk Cameron, was talking about, how we've got this God vacuum in our heart. And I'm not saying that, oh, come to Jesus because he wants to fill that God vacuum. But there is, there is a vacuum. There is something in the core of every single human being. And that space is reserved for God. And that is your conscience. There's not a one of us that does not acknowledge that there are moral absolutes. That morality is not relative. Morality is not subjective. Because every one of us, by the divine creator, has been given a conscience. We're told in John 1 that everything was made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that true light, which lights every single man, has come into the world. That's Jesus, and that's our conscience. The Gentiles who didn't even have the law do by nature the things contained in the law, being a law unto themselves, showing the law of God written in their conscience, either accusing them or excusing them. Now again, this is sufficient to condemn every one of us so that we are without excuse. Romans 2.1 Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever you are. That's the vocative address, Elizabeth. O man. Very seldom used. <laughs> o man, you're without excuse, whoever you are. When you judge someone else, you've just condemned yourself because you do the same things. Boy, I wish that verse wasn't in the Bible. <laughs> it is so convicting. Another convicting verse Ben and I read this week. If you say that you abide in Jesus, then you ought to walk just as he walked. We are without excuse, aren't we? Now, those are general revelations, but God has given us some more specific revelation. And are we listening to God's voice? God has given us specific revelation through two things, and they're both called the Word. One is the Word of God, and the second is the Word incarnate. You want to know God's will, you want to know God's character, you want to know God's person. You will not find it outside of God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, 
That doesn't just mean without air. It means it is complete. It's the Hebrew word that means a whole integer. Nothing is lacking in God's law. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That's God's word, his revelation to you and I. And then Jesus Christ, if that wasn't sufficient enough, Jesus Christ is God incarnate, Emmanuel. He's not a God. He's not a created being. He is the eternal God who became flesh and died in our place. And you want to know God. All we have to do is look at the person of Jesus Christ. Because no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Son, he has declared, Jesus declared the Father to you and I. John 14, 8. Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know who I am? Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So God has given us four ways to speak to you and I. Now, how do I know when I'm not listening to God? There's two, two key ways that I can say, you know what, I'm not really listening to God anymore. One, when my conscience starts to become dull. When you are able to do the things that you know you shouldn't do and it no longer bothers you, or when you're not doing the things that you know you should do and you make excuses for it. That's one way that I know that I'm no longer listening to the voice of God when my conscience becomes dull. The second way I know that I'm no longer really listening to God is when I don't like the answer that he gave me and I start looking elsewhere. I remember counseling a young man. His wife had practiced infidelity. She was repentant, broken, came back and wanted counseling and wanted to mend this broken marriage. I remember counseling the young man, and his excuse was, Matthew 19 gives me a way out. I says, no, that's not what Jesus is teaching Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 35 that when you divorce your wife, except for immorality, you are the cause of her immorality then. And if you marry anybody else, you commit adultery. And he wanted to marry somebody else, and that was the bottom line. And he wouldn't listen to what the Bible said, so you know what he did? He found every commentary he could. He found every writer on it until he found someone who said, this is what you can do. And that's when you're no longer listening to the voice of God. When you say, God, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to look for answers elsewhere until I hear what I want to hear, and then I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's what's going on in this chapter. Ahaziah doesn't like what he hears, so he sends 50 more men. God brings fire down and says, uh-uh. You ain't going with that guy. 
He sends 50 more men. Elijah brings fire down. He says, oh, you're not going with that guy either. And then finally, the last captain of the 50, he gets on his knees and says, please, take it easy. I don't want to end up like those other guys. He says, okay, go ahead and go. I'm giving you permission, but you're only going to speak at my word to Ahaziah. You're going to give him the same message for the third time and see if he's going to like it or not. Okay, so let's go back to the first one. When our conscience has been dulled, how do we know that Ahaziah's conscience has been dulled here? We see God trying to get his attention. The Moabites rebel against Israel. That should have been a sign to Ahaziah right there, I am out of the will of God. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Leviticus chapter 26, we are told that God would subdue the enemies, that God would push them out of the land of Canaan, and that five men will send a flight to a hundred. And a hundred men would set the flight to a thousand. And God says, when you are no longer listening to me, I am going to stir up adversaries that are going to come in and bring you under subjection. In 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 2, David had conquered the Moabites and had put them under tribute. They were a vassal state. And now the nation of Israel was going into Baal worship like never before. And so now God is stirring up these adversaries. And Ahaziah is not listening to the voice of God. His conscience has been dulled. He says, okay, I'm going to take it a little step further. I'm going to let you fall through the lattice, and you're going to get really, really sick. And he says, okay, that, that's not, that still wasn't enough. Ahaziah was seriously injured. The Moabites are rebelling. And God will use circumstances in our lives to get us to the point where we will listen to the voice of God. Sometimes we need a wake-up call. So Ahaziah, what does he do? He sends out messengers, and he sends them. He says, go inquire of Beelzebub. And it's interesting, the Hebrew word for messengers is melakim. So if I was reading this in Hebrew this morning, it would be uh, shalach mehokim, or messengers. And then we get down to verse, um, uh, where's it at? Hmm. My eyes are running all over the place here. Verse 3, it would literally say in the Hebrew, Vahamelech Yahweh, Amer. So God sends his messenger, and Ahaziah is sending his messengers. God has a way to get you and I to hear his voice, and it's called our conscience. And Elijah is acting as the conscience that Ahaziah has calloused over. Sometimes we need this wake-up call. He's sending his messengers to Beelzebub. Now, who is Beelzebub? We know that from the New Testament, don't we? In Matthew, it says that Jesus was doing miracles. His enemies, by who? By Beelzebub. That was the God of all the demon world. 
But in the Old Testament, it was a god of the Phoenicians, a god of the Philistines. And literally, it means the god of the flies. In the New Testament, they kind of twisted it a little bit. And because flies like to hover over manure, they called him the god of dung. And it was the Hebrews making fun of this Ekron pagan god. But the god of the flies was what the Philistines and the Phoenicians believed was the god who could heal. He was the god who could intervene when you needed physical help. Because they associated the flies with the seasons that would change and the seasons would bring health. The seasons would, and when the, when the flies were gone, things got better. And they, so they associated this with, with life and death and with healing and with sickness. And so who's he going to go to? He's, he's running to this God who thinks he can fix his immediate problem without really dealing with the heart issue. That's a hard conscience. And so we're not listening to God when our conscience has been dulled. Our faith is not a vacuous faith. Our faith is an intelligent faith. Our faith is not a mindless faith, but it is a thinking faith. Our faith is able to withstand scrutiny. Our faith is substantive. And he was walking away from all of those things. You see, when you replace God, it's not because you're, you're trying to outthink God. In fact, it's just the opposite. I'm kind of getting myself confused and you all too, so sorry. <laughs> we create gods of our own choosing. That's what I'm trying to, to get at. It's not because this God doesn't make sense to us. It's not because we can't explain this God. It's not because I, I want what I want, really what it is. And that's what Ahaziah, he creates a God of his own choosing that fits into his lifestyle. And really, it's an idol. And so when we say, well, my God is like such and such, we've really just created an idol. What is the God of the Bible like? That's what we need to ask ourselves. So a reminder that this, the gods that, that you and I pick for ourselves, they're, they're gods that really can't deliver what they're supposed to be living up to anyway. Yeah. They, they can't do it. So he, what's his message? He says, you're going to Beelzebub to find out if you're going to get off this sickbed, but the God of Israel, the one that you don't want to talk to, he's going to tell you that you're not going to get up off this bed. Is it because there's no God in Israel? What a tremendous insult it is to our living God when we fill our lives with other things that can never live up to their expectations anyway. And don't we do that? What an insult that was to the God of Israel who had just wiped out 850 prophets of Baal now to have someone to inquire of Beelzebub. And we do the same thing all the time. We fill our lives with things that cannot deliver, that cannot live up to their expectations, and they have no power to give us what we really are looking for. The Hebrews were good at doing this, and so are we. Isaiah 30 and verse 1 says, Woe to rebellious children, saith the Lord. They take counsel, but not of me. 
that cover with a covering, but not by my spirit. They add sin to sin. They walk to go down to Egypt. They've asked counsel, but not at my mouth. They strengthen themselves with the strength of Pharaoh, and they trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh will be your shame, and the trust of the shadow of Egypt will be your confusion. Our substitutes are nothing but a temporary fix. Now, I, I'm, I'm not very good at fixing things, and... <laughs> And most of my fixes are temporary fixes, and I guess I got that from my dad. My dad was not a carpenter. He was not an, uh, a mechanic, and so everything in our house was a temporary fix. We had a doorknob that had a nail stuck in it because the doorknob would pull off in your hand if you pulled it too hard, so my dad wedged the nail in there. We had a television set, and the, the knob fell off of it, and I'm not kidding you, for my entire High school years, we used needle nose pliers to turn the channel on our television. That was my dad. And so I'm just not too far, the apple didn't far, fall too far from the tree. So I've, I'm in college, I'm in seminary, and I got a tire that's got a slow leak. And I'm thinking, ah, I know how to fix this. And a temporary fix will blow up on you, I'll tell you that. So I get this can of stuff, and it says, ah, it'll stop, you know, slow leaks. I don't read the fine print. This is just enough to get you to the gas station. So I fill it in my car. I've got this old, it's an old Volvo. They look like a tank. I mean, people just give me these secondhand cars. They're beautiful. I thank God for them. I got a secondhand truck somebody gave me right now. And it's, it's doing the job. But this somebody gave me this. And so I grabbed, went to the gas station, grabbed this stuff and stuck it on there. And it filled that tire up, man. It was a temporary fix. Well, I didn't read the fine print. So I'm, I'm driving back down the interstate. And I'm going about 60 miles an hour right through Chattanooga. And boom! I thought somebody shot me with a shotgun. That car is going all over the place. Finally, I get off of the shoulder, and my tire is just blown out. So here's my illustration. My illustration is that substitutes are just a temporary fix for the right thing. Egypt, psychologists, whatever it is, they're, they're just a temporary fix. Pleasure, alcohol, you name it, drugs, Facebook, your computer. It's a temporary fix, and God says, I've got something permanent for you. And we go to the gods of Ekron, and is it because there is no God in Israel that can really meet our innermost need? Again, Isaiah 31.1, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. They stay on horses and they trust in chariots because they are many and horsemen because they are very strong. But they don't look to the Holy One of Israel, neither do they seek the Lord. Yet He also is wise. He will bring evil, and he will not call back his words, but he will rise against the house of evildoers and against those who help them and work iniquity. Now the Egyptians, at the end of the day, that's not in the Bible, that's Irish, at the end of the day, they are simply men. They are not God. The horses are flesh. They are not spirit. The answer was, you shall surely die. So I... God is offering to you and I everything we need at free, without cost. There's a hitch. I've got to admit that I need the God of Israel. I've got to admit 
that I am thirsty. And I've got to admit that I am spiritually bankrupt, that I'm broke. And here's the invitation for the one who will say, yes, I am thirsty. I am broke. I am bankrupt. Isaiah 55, 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He that has no money, come and buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on what is not bread? Why do you spend your labor on what does not satisfy? Hearken diligent to me and eat that which is good. Come unto me and hear and your soul shall live. Seek the Lord while he may be found of you. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God and he will abundantly passion. Pardon, sorry, pardon me. When we don't like the answer, I've already kind of covered that one. God has given us the answers to real life issues, hasn't he? The message of God, it doesn't compromise. He could send 250 messengers and Elijah wasn't going to change the message because he was a message of God's punishment and God's wrath. That's why he wore the hairy and rough garments. So I want to end on a very positive note, okay? Because a lot of Elijah's preaching is is on a negative tone because he's dealing with people that need to be dealt with straight. But I want to just go through three things that will help us to inquire of God. So this really isn't from the passage. But to inquire, it means to seek. It means to draw close to. It means to ask the advice of. So how as believers do we do that? As God's people. So, and this is a, just, just kind of giving you the, the milk today and really not the meat. But just to, to give you an appetite for how to inquire of God and how to draw close to God. And not run to the gods of Beelzebub. Because they're everywhere. They're easy to find. So the first thing is through God's word. You want to inquire of God. You want to know what God's plan and what God has to say to you. Go to his word. The word of God never changes. Psalm 119 verse 89. O Lord, thy word is settled forever in heaven. Isaiah 40 in verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. So when I want to inquire of God, I go to his word because his word never changes. Second, the word of God is the source for all spiritual growth. You want to show me a Christian who's growing and becoming more like Christ, and I will show you a Christian who's reading his Bible every day. You want to see somebody who's away from God, somebody who's cold-hearted, someone who doesn't have a passion for Jesus anymore, and that's a person who's no longer reading their Bible. The Bible, the Word of God, is our source for spiritual growth. 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes, 
desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed that you have tasted that our God is gracious. Third thing about the word of God, the word of God reveals our motives and exposes our hearts. I've already quoted this one, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's piercing, even dividing of asunder and soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. So that's the first place we go. When I want to inquire of God, I go to his word. Well, I probably should turn these all the other way around. That should probably be the last thing. The first thing is through prayer. So let me just reorder those. My thoughts were just kind of coming to me, and I didn't really think of the, the, the right progression here. So I think we should start with prayer. So let's start there first with prayer. We've already gone to the Word of God. That's our last thing, but the Word of God. So the, second, the first thing we need to do is pray. And prayer is not complicated. Prayer really is pretty simple. Luke chapter 11. Just look at the Lord's Prayer. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. It's the Lord teaching the disciples how to pray. But in Matthew, we've got the exact same illustration given. And I just want to bring out two things about prayer when Jesus taught us how to pray. Number one, it is not complicated, and it's not showy. We don't impress God with our vocabulary. This morning, we had prayer before our service. And what a joy to hear men just talk plain old English to God. Jesus said this, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing in the synagogues and in the corners and in the streets, that they may be seen of men. We don't have to impress anybody when we pray. We're just coming to God. Second, the other warning that Jesus gives, prayer is not an attempt to change God. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Why? For they think that they will be heard through their much speaking. You and I don't have to do penance to earn God's grace. In fact, those things are diametrically opposed. Grace is grace, not of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Hebrews, I mean Romans 11, 5. We don't have to try to coerce God into listening. In fact, God is our Father who wants to give good gifts into His children. And the vain repetition thinks that God is going to somehow hear us through the many speaking. Be not therefore likened to them for your Father. Notice that Jesus says that God is our Father. Your Father knows what you have need of before you even ask Him. So when we want to inquire, we start by prayer. Prayer is simple. Prayer is telling God what we need. And prayer is confidence in the all-powerful and loving God who ultimately does what is just. So that even when His love and power do not serve my end, my confidence remains because of who He is. Let me read that again. That's not original with me. That's from a book called Jesus Among Other Gods. Our loving Father ultimately does what is just, so that when even His love and power do not serve my end, 
My confidence remains because of who he is. He is our Father who is in heaven, and holy is his name. So we then go to his word. We've already talked about his word. It's forever changeless. It's the source of spiritual food. It reveals my motives. And where does this lead me? Where does my inquiring of God lead me? Praying through the word, it better leads you to a personal walk with Jesus. Because that's the goal of it all. Christ is the very essence of God. Conforming to Christ's likeness is our goal in the Christian life. Paul counted everything done for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus his Lord, for whom he suffered the loss of all things, not having his own righteousness, which is the law, but the righteousness, which is a faith, the righteousness of God through faith alone, that I might know him, he said, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, if by any means I might be conformed in the image of his death. Not that I have attained or already am perfect, but I follow after, if I may apprehend that which also Christ has apprehended me. Forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forth to the goal that is set before me. That's what Paul wanted. He wanted to know Jesus. That's what it means to inquire of God. Thirdly, God's revelation in Christ is not partial, it's not sporadic, but it is complete. The complete revelation of everything you and I ever need to know is found in Jesus. Jesus is the treasure of wealth. It's all hidden in Him. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at various times and sundry times and by diverse manners, go back to the old King James, that's the way I remembered it. Sundry times, that means all sorts of times. Diverse, that means many, many ways. God spoke in time past to the fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, how is Jesus? I just gave you the answer. How did God speak to us? He spoke to us through his son, didn't he? And who is his son? His son created the worlds, the ages of time who is the brightness of his glory, the exact expression of his image, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of God. So that's how we inquire of God. Why would we ever want to inquire of the gods of Hollywood or the gods of Wall Street or the gods of my 401k when we have got a God in heaven who spoke this world into existence, when God has given us a conscience so that we can relate to him, when God has given us his word and God has sent us his son, let's inquire of our God. God is speaking. Let's be listening. Let's close in prayer. Father, God, before we take the Lord's Supper, let's just quiet our hearts, Lord.
Maybe a good prayer would be the prayer that Eli instructed Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Lord, you can speak to us through so many different ways. But your greatest message was the cross. You're a God that hates sin and a God who loves justice. You're a God that loves sinners and was willing to sacrifice yourself for our sin on the cross. So, Father, today, may we hear your voice. May we hear Jesus' voice when he broke that bread and said, Here is my body, which is broken for you. Today, may we hear your voice saying how much you love us when we take the cup, when Jesus said, This is the blood of my covenant, which is shed for you. Lord, today, we come into your house to worship you, to praise you, to exalt you, and now, Lord, we want to remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. The men that were our ushers, if you'll just come forward this morning to help us.